Please remain risen and receive these words from the Gospel according to Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that is lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Gracious and loving God, we know that we stand in need, that we don't always get it right. And yet, again and again, you come and draw near to us, you seek us out, and you share a word that invites us to turn to you and live. Today, may your word be received in ways that call us back to you or closer to you, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I do love a good metaphor. During the series, we're talking about how congregational life together is a mosaic with each unique person, each one of us, taking our place as valuable pieces in the vision, the art, the image that God has for Foundry. Last week, we grappled with a difficult gospel teaching about the cost of discipleship but also with how God's vision simply isn't complete unless and until we all stop making excuses and give ourselves fully to God's vision. If one person is missing, then the vision will not, cannot be all that it can be. 
But the thing about a metaphor, even a helpful one, is that its application always, only, always, only goes so far. Mosaics, at least traditional ones, before we've gotten into the digital age where there's all sorts of art that moves around and does all sorts of things, traditional mosaics are static. Certainly, if a piece is lost, if it falls out of place, then the image is going to be affected. You would want to go find that piece. But a mosaic isn't alive. The pieces that make up mosaic art don't have jobs. <laughs> they don't have families. They don't have feelings. They don't have differing spiritual needs. And bodies that age and get sick and die. The mosaic of our community is a living, breathing organism. People come and go for all sorts of reasons. People are connected in all kinds of ways, ways that we can perceive and ways that we don't know about. The mosaic that is foundry requires careful curation and attentiveness to God's unfolding vision. Our mosaic expands and contracts and sometimes creates gaps that need to be filled. And as we think about who we are and who we believe God calls us to be as community, as we are gathering ourselves again. And for many on this weekend and over these last weeks, people have been coming to me and saying, it's the first time I'm back in three years in this space. We have a member of our online community who is worshiping with us today at 16th and P who joined this church online and is here today in person for the first time ever. These things are happening, and we're thinking about how we're reconnecting and how we are connecting and how God is unfolding a vision. It's our focus during these weeks. And as we think about all of that, who will fill the gaps that are inevitable? in a living mosaic, who needs to fill one of those gaps for their own well-being, who needs to fill one of those gaps in the mosaic for our well-being, who do we want to fill the gaps and who do we not want to fill the gaps and why? As is often the case, Jesus' input to this conversation gives me pause. It gives us things to think about. If you read the first 15 chapters of the gospel according to Luke, bringing us up to the point where we began today, 
then you will discover that Jesus' congregational mosaic, by and large, is made up of outcasts and sinners. The ones society puts out, the ones who make others uncomfortable, the ones who have gotten into trouble or made a mess of their lives or the lives of others. Jesus' congregation encompassed the most excluded and those who excluded them. Bigots and saints, the self-righteous, the humbled. The religious leaders often tuned in to hear what Jesus was up to. It was quite a diverse congregation. With whom in that congregation would you want to pull up a pew or to serve alongside? In Luke 14, Jesus tells the story of a banquet hall ultimately filled with the outcasts of society because the people who might have come had excuses and didn't show up. In our text today, we find Jesus at table with sinners and tax collectors, and then the grumbling begins among the local clergy association who had taken a table at the same restaurant. They look over at Jesus saying, look at that. Why is he hanging out with them and not with us? Doesn't he know what they do? Doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't he know that he will get looped into their group? People are going to think that he's one of them. Doesn't he know what message he's sending by hanging out with those people? And the answer to that last question is a very simple yes. (laughs) Jesus knows exactly what message he's sending. And that message is this. God came into the world as one of us to seek and to save the lost. To bring life and wholeness into the places of death and brokenness, to bring hope and purpose into lives that are in despair and in chaos, and quite frankly, to search out every single person, not to convert them to one way of understanding who God is or one way of living out the life of love and justice in faith, but rather to seek every single person out, regardless of whether they feel lost or not, so that all God's children might be on the path of becoming who they're created and called to be, and that they might know that they are loved. The stories that Jesus tells in response to the Pharisees' grumbling challenge give us further insight. While some might romanticize the image of a sweet little sheep who gets lost, I would be among those, just saying. Even though we might romanticize that, to be a sheep is not romantic. And it's certainly not a compliment 
A lost sheep is one who, frankly, is too ignorant to know any better. There isn't evil intention in the sheep's getting lost. The sheep simply makes a wrong turn, and then another wrong turn, and then another wrong turn, and then all of a sudden, she finds herself completely cut off from anything that's life-giving and helpful, alone and in danger. The sheep may find himself, after all these turns, in a back alley or in a boardroom, either one of which can breed destruction or in habits that got formed with little to no consciousness that are self-destructive and isolating. The shepherd in the story, of course, doesn't judge the sheep or seek to destroy the sheep. The shepherd doesn't write off the sheep or forget the sheep or figures that the bottom line, which is 99 to 1, is still a pretty healthy return. The shepherd searches for the sheep, scoops up the sheep, places it on his shoulders, and carries her home. The lost coin in the next story is one of ten, significant when we understand that Jewish maidens had ten silver coins sewn into their bridal headdress, a dowry, a symbol of the marriage covenant, deeply meaningful and valuable, not only for its monetary value, but for its relational value inherent. But as valuable as the coin is, a coin has no agency. A coin can't get itself lost. A coin can't make a bad decision or a wrong turn. If a coin is lost, it's a victim of circumstance or the care or lack of care provided by the one who holds it. How often have you said, that child never had a chance? Someone didn't hold that child. They didn't choose. And when this deeply valued one is found, restored, cared for, given a home and wholeness, it's time to rejoice. And the next story that Jesus tells, we didn't hear today, but you all know it. It's the story of the prodigal son, in which the self-serving younger son intentionally makes the decision to dishonor his father, make off with his inheritance, and proceed to the seediest place he can find to blow his cash and have a grand old time. And here, it's not ignorance. It's not circumstances. It's not the actions of others that get the son lost. It's his own choice. And yet... (laughs) 
just as with both the other parables. The son is not judged or rejected. When the son turns and returns to the father, he is embraced. For this son of mine, the son of mine was dead and has come to life. He was lost, but now has been found. And the closing frame of the story is not that frame because the story goes on and you know how it goes. The father continues to search for the one who is yet outside. For the elder son who was so resentful, so angry, that he refused to come in and rejoice with his family. You can imagine him in his outrage crying out, why is he hanging out and partying with him and not with me? He's done everything wrong and I am right. He doesn't deserve the party. I deserve the party. And all at once, we find ourselves back at the table with Jesus and his rabble-riddled guest list. And with the accusing stares of the clergy association and their acolytes and hanging in the gap between the two are Jesus' stories, his teaching, his example, his life, his love. Hanging in the gap is God's amazing grace that is there for all of us. Because we've all been lost. We've all needed to be found. hanging in the gap between Jesus and his friends and the religious and their judgment is God's amazing grace that is for all of us, for all of us. As we struggle with how to live together, with how to share congregational life, with those who disturb our worship, with those who challenge our ideas, with those who don't seem to care as much as we do, who don't understand what we're trying to do, who want to change things that we believe are important, who can't or won't contribute to our shared ministry, and on and on it goes. Of course, we know we are called to be a community that welcomes and shares life together and makes room for people of every age and station and experience. But when someone else's needs get in the way of my needs getting met, A 
a living mosaic, each truly unique piece right next to you and different from you is, that's hard to be a part of. But if we can't practice and learn how to live together here, then how will we ever be out in the world with the challenges that are much harder than someone taking your seat in worship? Or worshiping differently than you prefer? Or you name it, you all have your thing, I imagine. Life together is messy and difficult. And without all of our pieces, our beautiful, different pieces of who we are, God's vision isn't what Jesus revealed as the goal. We're, we're called to do a hard thing, a hard and beautiful thing. The good news is that God's grace falls upon all of us, all of us who are lost in any kind of way. And the more that you come to realize and I come to realize that God searches for you when you wander and get lost and that God's love for you is stronger than any wrong action or judgmental attitude or death-dealing, hateful, hurtful choice or petty little resentment, anything that gets in the way of your being who God is calling you to be and giving yourself fully to God's vision, any of that, God's grace is lifting you up and calling you home. And when we begin to realize that, then perhaps by that same grace of God, you and I will begin to open our arms and hearts and minds and make a point to search for the one who is missing. To search for the one who is missing. Perhaps missing from our pew neighborhood or missing from our conversations that we've had with them before online or missing from our small group or missing from just being around. The ones who are missing because they've never been part of community before. Maybe we will begin to invite those who seem to need community, seem to need connection, seem to need God. Maybe we will look for them and bring them home. Maybe we will continue to remove obstacles so that we create welcome for children and for youth and for our siblings of different cultures and races and life experiences from our own. By God's grace, perhaps we'll remember that this isn't our mosaic after all and that the one who created everything probably has the capacity to fill in the gaps for Foundry's vision. And so we might just want to get over ourselves and rejoice when the lost get found, and learn from and enjoy the beauty and challenge of being part of this living mosaic, this dynamic, shimmering community formed and held together 
by nothing other than God's amazing grace. May it be so.